0: 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Uh, we are going to be looking this morning at the first five verses and for the next two weeks, we're going to think about prophecy and tongues. Uh, This Sunday, the gift of prophecy. Next Sunday, the gift of tongues. I'm going to take more of a topical approach uh, with 1 Corinthians 14 as our launching pad, if you like, uh, so that we can step back together and see what does the Bible uh, as a whole teach us to think with respect to these, uh, these gifts of prophecy and, and tongues. Before we read uh, 1 Corinthians 14 verses 1 through 5, let's pray and ask for God's help. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for the opportunity now to sit under the, the ministry of your word together. And we are mindful of the fact that some of us here are still just sorting out uh, who Jesus is and what it means for our lives. But uh, we're about to enter into uh, a passage of Scripture that can be uh, challenging and where there's disagreement among uh, the brethren. And we're certainly not interested in doing this just for the sake of getting into arguments and debating points of theology. Uh, We want to be... uh, conformed to the truth of your word, and so right now we acknowledge our need for the illumination of the Spirit to help us understand uh, what we are to believe and how we are to live as Christians and as a church. Please build us up during this time, and we pray that Christ Jesus would be glorified this morning, for it's in his name we pray. Amen. First Corinthians 14, Verses one through five, let's hear God's word. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. Unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. And one of the big questions that uh, arises when you bring up the topic of prophecy and tongues today is, do these gifts continue today? Are they given to the church by the Spirit in this present time? Now, many Christians today believe that the gifts of prophecy and tongues uh, continue and still occur. But uh, as a church here at Trinity, it is, it's our conviction that the gifts of prophecy and tongues have ceased and that God is no longer in the business of giving new revelation today. And so today I I wanna consider this question of prophecy. And my hope is that by the end of it, we'll better understand why we believe that prophecy has ceased. But as we begin, I think we need to recognize that in some ways the deck is stacked against us. We need to recognize uh, that by saying the miraculous gifts have ceased, there are, you might say, several strikes against us. Uh, Strike one, this view is the minority among Protestant Christians today. Uh, Charismatic and Pentecostal Christians, globally speaking, outnumber evangelical Christians two to one today, by at least a ratio of two to one. And then you add on top of that, that many evangelicals today believe in the continuation of gifts like prophecy and tongues. So we're the minority today. That's that's strike one. Strike two, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, verse five, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. Now, if you assume the continuation of these gifts into the present, then a plain, straightforward reading and application of that passage would seem to be Paul wants us to speak in tongues. And even more than that, he wants us to prophesy. So again, uh, two strikes. Who are we to say these gifts have ceased when the Apostle Paul says, desire them and later on in the chapter, do not forbid them. Okay, two strikes. Here's strike three. And on top of all of that, many Christians today not only believe that these gifts continue and are given to the church today, but many Perhaps people we know and love claim to have these gifts. Lots of Christians claim to speak in tongues. Lots of them prophesy, believing that they have received new revelation, some through dreams and visions. This was part of my own experience growing up in uh, my home. I grew up in a home where I, I had family members who believed that the Lord continued to give new revelation through things like dreams. So anytime I had a dream as a child, I was supposed to tell my parents right away so that the dream could be interpreted. Um, I'm just saying that so you you understand. I'm, I'm not speaking to this issue from a distance. This is something I've grown up with. And so in light of these three strikes, somebody might ask, why would you disagree with the majority of Christians today with what appears to be the plain teaching of the Bible and with the experience of so many fellow Christians today? Aren't you in danger of putting God in a box and quenching the Holy Spirit, the very thing the Bible says we must not do? Wouldn't it at least be better, at least be better to plead ignorance on this matter? Well, it, it certainly would be easier <laughs> to plead ignorance. But I'm convinced by Scripture that the miraculous gifts have ceased. Now, we need to be very clear about this because there's a lot of misunderstanding. That does not mean that we believe God is silent or that He has stopped communicating and illuminating His Word given to us in the Scriptures. What it does mean is that there is no further authoritative revelation from God apart from the Bible. Okay, so here's our plan this morning. We're going we're gonna to look at the Bible very carefully, what it teaches us about prophecy. And I think we will be led to see that prophecy is no longer a gift given today. And, you know, this being the minority view, let me just say this in passing the fact that this is the minority view today doesn't mean it's wrong. In fact, some historical perspective could, could really help us here. When we say that the miraculous gifts have ceased, we are in fact agreeing with the vast, 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 vast majority of the Christian tradition, down through the centuries. You see, following the apostolic age until the very recent, Um, movements of the modern tongues movement and the charismatic movement starting in the early 1900s in California. It was the standard historic view that the gifts of tongues and prophecy had ceased with the age of the apostles, the passing of the age of the apostles. But again, church history isn't our ultimate guide here. It's not where we ultimately need to turn for how we think about these things. Let's turn to our Bibles and with the scriptures open before us, let's ask three questions today. Beginning with question one, what is prophecy? We need to make sure we understand what prophecy actually is as we get started. Prophecy very simply is authoritative revelation from God. That's what prophecy is, authoritative revelation from God. prophets receive revelation from God and then communicate that authoritative revelation to others. And this is true in both the Old Testament and the New Testament phenomenon of prophecy. Prophecy is an authoritative revelation from God, and the word of a true prophet is authoritative because he or she is the very mouthpiece of God. As we think about what prophecy is, there are several Old Testament passages I think we need to consider to to fill out our understanding. I'm going to be bouncing around from passage to passage here. So try to keep up or just listen. Uh, The first first passage we need to consider is Exodus chapter seven, verses one and two. Those verses read, "'The Lord said to Moses, "'See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, "'and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. "'You shall speak all that I command you, "'and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh "'to let the people of Israel go.'" Out of his land. And so follow that. God speaks to Moses. Moses speaks prophetically to Aaron. And Aaron speaks prophetically to Pharaoh. So that what Pharaoh hears is ultimately God himself. The language is Moses and Aaron will be like God to Pharaoh. Speaking the authoritative word of the Lord that was revealed to them. Uh, the second passage that we need to notice in passing is, is Numbers chapter 12, verses six and seven. And he said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. Now here, here we learn that God's word may come to a prophet in a variety of ways. Not so with Moses Moses. Here, Moses received things in a form of a more direct communication from God. But for prophets, it came, sometimes came in visions, sometimes in dreams. But however the word of the Lord came to the prophets, that revelation was the authoritative word of God. And so, for just one example, the prophet Micah, his, his book begins... Micah, uh, the the word of the Lord that came to Micah, which he saw. So the prophecy that Micah would speak came to him in the form of a vision. But we need to understand that all true prophecy originates from God. It comes from the mouth of God and is placed in the mouth of the prophet. In contrast to true prophets, false prophets Also, they spoke of things received, but not from the Lord. Instead, things that developed in their own imaginations. Things that come from their own mind. The prophet Jeremiah warned of this in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 16, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes, They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. And so there is this danger of of false prophets who will attach authority to what they say by saying, thus says the Lord. And what the people of God need to do is they need to make a distinction. They need to distinguish between true prophecy and false prophecy. Another Old Testament passage that we need to consider that's very important is Deuteronomy 18, verses 18 through 22. This is a lengthier passage, but I'm going to read it so we know what it says. I will raise up for them, this is the Lord speaking uh, to Moses, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, That is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. Now there's a lot going on there. But first, God promises, did you notice, to raise up a prophet like Moses, but greater. It's a promise of Jesus and his prophetic ministry. Jesus is the great and ultimate prophet. And we'll come back to that a little bit later this morning what we also see in this passage is if anyone presumes to speak for God when not God has not commanded him by revelation, that person is a false prophet and is susceptible to judgment and the people are to uh, to not listen to them. And the way you know a false prophet in the Old Testament is the fact that what they say isn't true and doesn't come to pass. Now, one final Old Testament passage we need to consider is... Joel chapter two, Joel chapter two, which is actually a prophecy about future prophecy. (laughs) This passage is key because it, it links Old Testament prophecy with the phenomenon of New Testament prophecy. In Joel chapter two, verse 28, we read these words, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Okay, so in the Old Testament, here's Joel, the prophet, speaking about a future event. And, and, and we need to notice Joel uses the common Hebrew Old Testament word for prophecy. That's significant because, as we'll see in a few minutes, many who believe that the gift of prophecy continues in the church today, believe that it's actually a different kind of prophecy than prophecy in the Old Testament. But Joel speaks about the same kind of prophecy, and even the means of its reception from God would be the same, through dreams and visions, for example. Okay, so what did, what did Joel foretell? He, he predicted a widespread manifestation of prophetic revelation. Uh, that would, if we read it in the context of, of Joel two, that would surround the time of the coming of the Messiah. The coming of Christ would result in this unprecedented outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Spirit bringing many new revelations from God. And so, a key question to ask is, when did Joel's prophecy? When does Joel's prophecy? come to pass? And actually, the New Testament tells us. It gives us the answer to that question. In his sermon, in Acts chapter 2, verse 16, Peter declared that this Old Testament prophecy was fulfilled in the outpouring of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. He quotes this passage and saying this is the fulfillment of what Joel spoke of. Like Old Testament prophets, we need to then see New Testament prophets received revelation from God and communicated it to people. Just some quick examples. We have Agabus in the the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 11, verse 28, he foretold a famine. In Acts chapter 21, he, he foretold Paul's arrest in Jerusalem. And when he spoke these prophecies, he would preface it by saying, Thus says the Holy Spirit. Now that sounds strikingly similar, doesn't it, to the Old Testament formula of thus says the Lord. See, when Agabus spoke, he spoke as a prophet, speaking the authoritative word of God that he had received by revelation originating from God. And so notice, no prophet in the Old Testament, nor in the New Testament ever said something like, you know, I feel like God is telling me this. I have this impression that he's he's placed on my heart and I think I need to share it with you all. They said, thus says the Lord, or thus says the Holy Spirit, because what they spoke, they had received by revelation from God. So what is prophecy? In both the Old Testament and the New Testament, it is authoritative revelation from God spoken by a prophet who serves as the mouthpiece of God. Let's go to the second question. That's what prophecy is. Second question, does the gift of prophecy continue today? I want to look at several ways that question is answered. Here's one way the question is answered by some. Some say, yes, prophecy continues today, just like in the Bible. So some are gifted to be prophets, They receive visions and dreams, and when they speak, they speak the authoritative word of God. And actually many churches who who hold to this view keep a written record of what their prophets spoke uh, as an authoritative guide for the church, kept basically seen as an authority right alongside of the scriptures, Another answer to this question, does prophecy continue today, is is no. Prophecy has ceased with the closing of the apostolic age and the completion of the biblical canon of Scripture. This is is our view. Uh, We believe God continues to speak. We need to be emphatic about this because it's often misunderstood. God's word given to us in the Scriptures is nothing less than the very Word of God. It is the living and active Word of God to such an extent that, you know, the author of Hebrews can quote an Old Testament psalm to a New Testament audience and say, the Holy Spirit says, not past tense, but to you, audience, the Holy Spirit is saying to you today. God speaks in and through His inspired word it is the living and active and powerful word of god preserved and kept for us and and we also believe the holy spirit is at work supernaturally changing hearts and renewing minds to the truths of god's word so that they can understand and receive and believe and respond to the word of god we believe that the holy spirit is at work to illumine our minds to give us an understanding of the truth of Scripture. And so God is actively and supernaturally working today, but that doesn't mean that he is continuing to give new revelation to the church today. Others say, and this is the third way you could answer the question, does prophecy continue today? Yes, prophecy continues, but the Bible teaches two levels of prophecy. Prophecy. Two different kinds of prophecy. The first level of prophecy is what we've been talking about. The authoritative word of God spoken without error. But the second uh, kind of prophecy, this group says, that that there's a second kind of prophecy um, where people still receive divine insight through visions and dreams, a word from the Lord. But the one relaying this word does not presume to be speaking the errant, authoritative word of God. Okay, so the first kind of prophecy has ceased, but this second kind of prophecy continues in the church today. They believe that while they have received revelation from God, that they're prone to to misunderstanding, uh, to miscommunication. And so anyone receiving revelation at this level of prophecy can't really say, thus says the Lord, or thus says the Holy Spirit. Instead, they have to say, Something like, it seems to me like the Lord is saying. Now, just to give you a sense of, of, of where we are right now in the, in the Christian church, for the last 25 to 30 years, the most read systematic theology in seminaries by men preparing for ministry, and the most purchased systematic theology in the last 30 years teaches this view of prophecy in the church. And the main passage to support this idea of two levels of prophecies, guess where it comes from? 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 29. So I want to I dig deep into this verse and try to understand what Paul is saying. Take a look at 1 Corinthians 14, 29. It says, Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. Okay, so... From this perspective, this is taken to mean that when one of these second-level prophets speaks, others are supposed to judge what is said and, and uh, sift, through, sift through things and get the truth and set aside the falsehood, okay? So if I were to say, you know, guys, last night I had a dream, and uh, in the dream, I, I, I think the Lord is saying that we need to paint the walls in our church pink. Okay, that, that's what I think we're being led to do. Then the job of some others today would be to weigh what I've just said and sift truth from error. And maybe they'd conclude that we're supposed to put on a fresh coat of paint, just not pink, right? So the prophecy is true in the sense that we're supposed to paint, but Pastor Jared got a little off in the details because there's no way we're supposed to paint the walls pink, right, in in the church. Now, I know that's a silly example, and I'm not trying to make light of the view. I'm just trying to give you, this is actually how this would work in the church. But I think there are some serious problems with this understanding of 1 Corinthians 14, verse 29. First of all, uh, the ESV translation has added the words, what is said. Those words, what is said, do not exist in the Greek text and actually reflect an interpretation rather than a translation of the text. So you can actually just get rid of the words, what is said, because they're not there in the original manuscripts. All it says is, let others weigh. And the word translated weigh is, it's often translated in the New Testament as to make a distinction. Okay, that's, Acts 11, Acts 15, James chapter 2, for examples of that. And that translation, I think, more likely reflects Paul's real intent here. So a good translation of chapter 14, verse 29 would be, let others make a distinction. Now, hold on to this idea, okay? People prophesying, others making a distinction. Hold on to those two things for a minute and think back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul couples... He links together speaking in tongues with interpreting tongues. In chapter 12, verse 10, the two go together. He says, if, you know, if somebody's gonna speak in tongues, there needs to be an interpreter, or you're just speaking a bunch of gibberish. That isn't going to build anybody up. It's not going to edify the church. Okay, so it's no surprise when Paul talks about tongues again in chapter 14, that he again speaks about the need for interpretation. He's absolutely clear about that in verses 27 and 28. But notice in a similar way in chapter 12, Paul also links prophecy with another gift, the ability to distinguish between spirits in chapter 12, verse 10. Now that word distinguish in chapter 12, 10 is a form of the word way or to make a distinction that we have here In chapter 14, verse 29. If you're still following me after all of these references. So, just as Paul speaks of tongues and interpretation as an inseparable pair in chapters 12 and 14, so he also speaks of prophecy and distinguishing between spirits as an inseparable pair in both chapters 12 and 14. So, here's what I think Paul is really saying in this verse. He's not saying that we need to sort through what prophets say, you know, keep the good and get rid of the bad. Instead, Paul is saying there needs to be others who are able to distinguish whether or not the prophecy is from God or from a false spirit. In other words, the big question is, is this a true prophet speaking? Because true prophecy is authoritative. True prophecy is the authoritative word of God. It's not a patchwork of truth and falsehood that we have to sift through. Now, this understanding of chapter 14, verse 29, it gets rid of the idea that there are two levels of prophecy taught in the New Testament. What we see instead is that there's only one kind of true prophecy, the word of God, authoritatively revealed and communicated. So the idea of two levels of prophecy, I really don't think it's found or taught in the scriptures. Now, lest we think this stuff has nothing to do with real life, I want to share another personal story. Um, you know, when I was a, when I was a young boy, uh, someone claiming to be a prophet, uh, someone claiming to have a word from the Lord told uh, my family members, that Jesus would come back before my grandmother died. Okay, so this person, claiming to be a prophet, said, Jesus Christ is going to return, and your grandma will not experience death. Well, not too long after that, uh, grandma got sick, and grandma died. And, you know, I was too young to, to really process all of this, but it really rattled some of my family members. Uh, they started asking the question, well, is this, a, is this a false prophet or have we misunderstood the prophecy? Um, and to such an extent that you know, as one of my siblings grew older, they, they, they pointed to this later in life as one of the reasons that they rejected the Christian faith. I know some of you have your own stories similar to that, someone perhaps meaning well, claiming to have a word from God, to encourage you or challenge you, to give you hope, when in fact, what they say just originates in their own minds. And and please note this morning, as we've looked at what the Bible has to say about prophecy, how seriously God takes this. I mean, in the Old Testament, a false prophet was to be put to death. You were not to listen to them. Um, that's how serious it was. And yet today, people so flippantly say things like, the Lord said to me, the Lord told me this, and I want to share it with you. Now, we need to make an important distinction there um, because there are a lot of folks who will use that language, the Lord said to me, and what they're really communicating is something that the Holy Spirit helped them understand from Scripture. And that's fine. But when you say that God has given me new revelation, that cannot be found in the word of God or deduced from the word of God, you are in a very, very dangerous place and you can do a great deal of damage to the people of God. So we need to be warned about this. Now, we're still left with an important question. Um, Can we rule out this idea that's really popular today of two levels of prophecy, but what about the first order level? Does it continue today? Do people continue to receive authoritative revelations from God? Again, revelations of truth not found in the Bible and that cannot be deduced from the Bible. Do do people receive revelation like that today? And we say, no, the gift of prophecy has ceased. Why do we think that? Because the New Testament teaches us that the miraculous gifts which were uh, the, the miraculous gifts of which we're speaking, prophecy being one of them, was closely connected to the apostolic office, the time of the apostles. Just give you a sampling of these texts. Paul says in 2 Corinthians twelve twelve, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. Hebrews 2, 3 and 4, we read, it was declared at first by the Lord And it was attested to us by those who heard while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. And one more, Ephesians 2.20, we read that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, okay? So the imagery there is of the apostles and prophets serving as the foundation of the church, and once the foundation of the church is laid, their role ceased. And this passing of miraculous gifts seems to have been happening when the New Testament was still being written. Think about this with me. 1 Corinthians was one of Paul's earliest letters, and after this book, Paul never again mentions the gift of tongues nor does any other New Testament author apart from Luke and his record of the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 at the very beginning of the New Testament church in Jerusalem. Paul doesn't command any other churches to seek the gift of prophecy. The only other place, in fact, where he even speaks about prophecy is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, where he tells them not to despise prophecies. Uh, But this is also one of Paul's earliest letters, in fact, even earlier than 1 Corinthians. And so if the miraculous gifts such as prophecy were supposed to continue, we might expect Paul to have addressed them as he wrote to other churches, but he never did. And notice as well, in all of his instruction to Timothy, Paul's protege, whom Paul Paul is preparing Timothy for ministry, and Paul is at the end of his life and he understands that the time of the apostles is coming to an end. Instead of talking to Timothy about prophecy and tongues, what does Paul emphasize? What does Paul tell Timothy to devote himself to? To the reading of scriptures and to the preaching of the word of God in season and out of season. And he also reminds Timothy that God's word, the inscripturated word of God, is enough. He reminds Timothy of its sufficiency to teach us the way of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. He reminds Timothy that scripture is the breathed out product of God, sufficient to teach us what we are to believe, matters of doctrine. He reminds them it's sufficient to expose our sin and our twistedness and our need. And it's sufficient to heal us and make us whole again. And it's sufficient to equip disciples of Jesus Christ. Notice the language of Paul, for every good work. You see what Paul is saying? He's saying the inscripturated Word of God gives the people of God everything they need to know the way of salvation, to know God, and to know his will for our lives. Scripture is enough. Let's go to the third question here. The third question I want to wrap up with is, why is it actually good news that prophecy has ceased? If we're right about this, why is it good news that prophecy has ceased? Let me just give you three quick reasons. First, since prophecy has ceased, and since God's word is sufficient and complete, It means we don't have to live paralyzed, crippled lives, constantly waiting and looking for some new sign, some new revelation from God before we can begin to serve him. A number of years ago, Pastor Kevin DeYoung wrote a book on finding God's will. I think we actually have a couple of copies out on the table there, and you're welcome to grab one on your way out. I love the title of it. It's kind of lengthy, but here's the title. Just Do Something. A liberating approach to finding God's will, or how to make decisions without dreams, visions, fleeces, impressions, open doors, random Bible verses, casting lots, liver shivers, writing in the sky, etc. It's a tremendously helpful and small book that I think I could summarize for you in one sentence. Okay? Here's my shot at it How can you know God's will for your life? Read your Bible and pursue wisdom. Read your Bible and pursue wisdom. But the reality is many, many of, of our dear brothers and sisters in Christ today have been taught to think that they need a personal word from God about you know, who they will marry, what job they will take, where they will live, um, where they should go to school, and so forth. And as a result, they're racked with anxiety, waiting for God to speak to them. I always want to pull those folks aside and say, look, God has already given you everything you need and he has left you free to make this decision with his inerrant word as your guide. It's all you need. So what we need is not new revelation, but the illumination of the spirit to understand the written word and the wisdom to know how to apply it. That's reason number one. Second, It's good that prophecy has ceased because it only serves to elevate the importance of the written word of God in our lives. Think about it. If we believe that prophecy has ceased, it means we don't live looking for and desiring new private personal revelations. Instead, what does it encourage us to do? To devote ourselves to the written word of God, to going to the scriptures to hear God speak, I want to say to you, dear brothers and sisters, don't let anyone ever tell you that you are being unspiritual by saying that you don't need new revelation. People have said that to me, and I want to say, searching the scriptures in humility, dependence upon the Spirit, faith in God is just the opposite. It is expression of biblical spirituality. After all, God's Word is the sword of the Spirit. It's, as we said a moment ago, living and active. Where Scripture speaks, God speaks. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It is the very power of God. And so being serious about the Bible means that you are serious about listening to God. But finally... It's good news that prophecy has ceased because it means that God has fully and ultimately revealed himself to us in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the whole point of Hebrews as it opens up in verses one through three that in in, in the past, in, in various ways, God has spoken to us by way of the prophets. And in these last days, He has spoken to us by his Son. The consummation of divine revelation in the divine Son. Because Christ has come as the ultimate prophet who reveals God to us, it means we need no further word from the Lord. Remember what God promised back in Deuteronomy 18. He promised a greater prophet than Moses and that to him... God's people would listen. And my friends, Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. Jesus is the prophet like Moses, but greater than Moses. He is the leader of a new exodus who leads his people out of bondage to sin and death. He is, as Hebrews puts it, the mediator of a new and better covenant. And even now he acts as our prophet revealing to us by his written word and by the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the will of God for our salvation. He's the prophet we all need and his final authoritative unerring word is enough. And here's the wonderful news, dear friends. It's accessible to us all. Each and every one of us can read it, hear it for ourselves. It's given to us freely through Jesus. God has revealed everything we need to know God, to be saved, and to live for God's glory. And he's given us the spirit to illumine our minds and open our hearts to receive that word, to stake our lives upon it, and to live according to it. So may we be a people, dear friends, who love the Bible, because we love the God of the Bible. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for speaking to us through your son, Jesus Christ. We ask for the Spirit's help to understand his word, to believe it with all of our hearts and to obey it in all of our lives. Thank you for the sufficiency of the scriptures. Make us a people who love the scriptures because we love you. We pray this in and through Jesus Christ, amen.